Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC information. It was a good weekend of UFC. UFC 295 went down. It did not disappoint in the slightest. I had such a blast watching it. I was back home for the weekend. If no one knows, I go to school in uh, Mankato, Minnesota, here at Minnesota State. And uh, I am from Lino Lakes, Minnesota, which is like 30 minutes, 25 minutes from uh, the Twin Cities. So, I mean, I'm pretty close to the cities, which has always been nice when we have to go to sporting events. But uh, now that I'm like an hour and a half from the cities, that always complicates, contemplates, complicates things when I have to go to sporting events. But I don't go too often. I mean, the last big one I was at was the uh, Minnesota Vikings versus the Indianapolis Colts last year when we came back down 33-0. to zero. So the last game I was at was history-making, which was pretty, pretty cool. We got a fun episode today. Of course, we'll be reviewing all the action that went down at UFC 295, going over all the fights, all the results, and what's next for all of the fighters. Also going to go, be also going to be going over all the matchups that happened in Week 10 of the NFL season, including my Minnesota Vikings getting another close victory win. Very, uh, very happy there. Some check-ins with the major sports leagues. Look at some upcoming UFC fights and all sorts of other activities here on the Surprise Jab podcast. But yeah, I mean, life's been pretty good lately. Uh, today, Monday, November 13th, I actually had a news interview, went on there with the uh, VP of my company, and we basically talked about our brand, Evergrowing Co., with uh, KEYC, Mankato. It's like the big news network down here, so it's pretty cool. I can say I've been on the news and done a segment on it, so I'll try and find that clip. I'll post it on the Instagram for the podcast and also on my personal Instagrams. Yeah, also, everyone follow my personal Instagram, Zach underscore Ruger. Um, shout me out on there. Say hello to me. I'll respond. You know, I, I'm always I'm always available. You know, I always like to I sometimes act like, oh, let me check my schedule. But usually, usually I'm around to go over things. But yes, the company's been going pretty well. We paid back our loan last weekend. I sold a, I didn't sell, but like me and three other girls I was tabling with in our CSU, our student union, we were able to sell 11 sweatshirts, which has been pretty nice. We actually reordered. So if you guys want to get anything, go to evergrowingcoibe.com or just uh, hit me up, Venmo, the account or whatever, and I can get you a sweatshirt, which are the hoodies. They're super nice. Uh, we got green, we got gray, and we got tan, which are basically, it's like a, it's like a cream, it's like a gray charcoal, and it's like a pine green, forest green or whatever. Super, super fun stuff, but yeah, it's, a, it's, kind of, it's kind of sad. The class is coming to an end. The semester flew by, and it's been my favorite semester I've had so far. I met so many cool people in class, and yeah, just been such an amazing time doing everything. Um, apparently, some guy also who has a podcast mentioned that he wants wanted someone from the company to come on and speak. So volunteer me for that, um, all my uh, company mates. Um, in uh, UFC land, we'll get right into it. We've had some big fight announcements, all right? We've had some cool fight announcements all kicking us off in uh, 2024. Wow, 2024 already coming at me. That is just crazy. Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakic are official for UFC 297 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, January 20th at UFC 297. I mean, Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakic, what are they ranked now? Well, Jan is the number four and Alexander Rakic are the number five light heavyweights in the world. Last time uh, Jan fought, he unfortunately lost Alex Pereira by split decision. And last time Rakic fought, he actually fought Jan Blahovich. They were, uh, it was in the third round of their fight. He actually tore like his ACL, tore 
for something in his leg. The fight was stopped, and it was pretty even. It was about a round apiece heading into that third round. So I'm happy they're running it back. And it uh, should be an interesting fight whenever that goes down. Not five rounds this time like their last fight, but uh, only three. So hopefully we can get all three this time without an injury appearing. But Rocket, he's been out of the game since, like, November 2022. So it would have been way over a year since uh, he's fought. But we're happy to be getting Alexander Rakic back. And Jan Blachowicz, I mean, who doesn't love Jan Blachowicz? I mean, Polish power, former light heavyweight champion. Love him so much. Also announced for UFC 297 is Dominic Reyes versus Carlos Ulberg. Dominic Reyes currently the number 13 heavyweight, uh, light heavyweight in the world. And Carlos Ulberg is unranked but has been gaining a ton, a ton of steam as of late. I want to find what his official win streak is because I know he's been just on a crazy run as of late. Um, nickname is the Black Jag, that's right. Uh, last fought February 12th of this year, whatever. Well, let me, let me check this out. But yes, nine victories, six KOs and one sub. He's currently on a five fight win streak. All five of those have been finishes except for one. But other than that, man, I mean, just incredible, incredible fighter. He's currently on a, got rear naked chokehold earlier at, oh, he actually got one at UFC 293. Yes, I remember that fight now. It's coming back to me. And before that, he had knocked out Io Perturia in round one, knocked out Nicola in round one, knocked out Tafan in round one. I mean, Carlos Ulberg is a super good on-ranked light heavyweight, so Dominic Reyes will be welcoming him to the division. And if no one knows who Dominic Reyes is, he was the man who probably beat John Jones on the scorecards all the way back at UFC 247 in February of 2020. Since then, I mean, he's been knocked out by Jan Blachowicz, knocked out by Jerry Prochaska, knocked out by Ryan Spann. It's been tough going for Dominic Reyes, but this is a winnable fight for him. As for Carlos, a big chance to move up into the rankings. Another and our final light heavyweight uh, announcement that we already knew about a bit, but uh, number two, Mogman Ankalaev, and number seven, Johnny Walker, will be rematching on January 13th at UFC Vegas 83, I believe it is, the another event at the Apex. Of course, they had um, a no contest Earlier this uh, earlier this year, I mean, not not but a couple of weeks ago at a UFC 294, their fight was stopped after a I don't even know what it was, but a clash of heads or something, or an illegal knee on the ground. That's what the debate was about. Uh, their fight was stopped, of course, when Johnny Walker was. They asked him where he was, and he said, "I'm in the desert." That was enough for the doctor to stop it. But they'll be running it back this time. Five round main event, January 13th. So a perfect way to kick off 2024. I love it. And a huge, a huge rumor that is circling is apparently Aljamain Sterling, that's right, former bantamweight champion, currently the number one contender at bantamweight, who got knocked out by Sean O'Malley in August, has been offered a fight at featherweight to move up in weight against number seven ranked Calvin Cater. Calvin also has not fought this year uh, since losing to Arnold Allen in 2022. Really want to see Calvin get back at it. Him versus Aljo would be a perfect fight to do. You could do it on a fight night in early 2024, slap it on a pay-per-view. Um, but yes, having Aljamain Sterling get back at it, same for Calvin Cater. And Aljamain had mentioned beforehand that that was probably his last fight at 135. He was going to move up. I don't know how his chin will be able to do, but I do know his grappling can surpass a lot of people at 145. 
five. So good luck to Aljo if he decides to move up. But um, I don't know. Kevin Cater, he's a pretty tough cat. I won't lie. But, uh, yeah, that's just a rumor at the moment. I hope that there's some uh, some uh, val- val- validity, valid validity to it. I, I don't know. In uh, NBA land, just wanted to touch on my Minnesota Timberwolves right now as they're currently third in the Western Conference, a 7-2 record on a six-game win streak. Anthony Edwards has been playing out of his mind. He's been playing so good. Timberwolves are 5-0 and in their conference, 2-0 and in their division. They've been on an absolute roll, and they just they just are not going to stop. Okay, the Timberwolves are just not going to stop. They're keeping it rolling. I don't think they played today since they played yesterday. Their next game will be against the Warriors at 9 o'clock on Tuesday. Okay, because they... Didn't they just play the Warriors and beat them? Yeah, we beat the Warriors 116 to 110 in Golden State. We're going to be running back another one Tuesday against them in Golden State. But, uh, man, oh, man, I'm just so pumped that Timberwolves are actually doing good this year. I'm so happy about it. Nuggets and Mavericks tied uh, with a record of 8-2 and at the 1-2 and spots atop the Western Conference. And in the East, 76ers, best record, 8-1 and on an eight-game win streak. They just have not stopped. They've been looking great. Celtics, 7-2. and Pacers and Heat, both 6-4. and Hawks, Magic, Bucks, Knicks, all 5-4. and Worst team in the Eastern Conference. I mean, this team just... I don't know. I, I hear nothing about them. No, they got Jaden. They got Jaden. Uh, or is it Jaden? Do D something or Jaden Ivy or something on the Pistons? But Pistons are two and nine on an eight-game losing streak. Kate Cunningham never worked out. They got rid of Andre Drummond a while ago. I mean, I don't know what's going on with that franchise. Wizards are two and seven at the 14th spot. Hornets at three and six at the 13th spot. But they're not the worst as the Grizzlies, who are two and eight, have just 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 looked atrocious. So I guess they're actually a game better. But the Grizzlies are just so bad without John Morant. They just they need to adjust if they're going to have any chance of the season. And the Spurs, despite having Victor Wimbanyama getting a ton of um, publicity, are three and seven on a five-game losing streak. So it's been brutal for them. And as for the Clippers, who are three and six, also on a five-game losing streak after acquiring James Harden, they are now zero and four. The basically what everyone's been saying about James Harden is that they want him to be the old James Harden. He's being too passive, not really being selfish at all. Because I mean, you heard what who was the one announcer just went absolutely off on him. If anyone saw the clip on social media, basically saying that James Harden's been the problem. He was a problem in Houston. He was the problem in Brooklyn. He was a problem in Philadelphia, even though James blames everyone else around him. So if James Harden can get back to his ways, Clippers can be good. But as of now, three and six, 11th in the West. Also on a five game losing streak is the Clippers <laughs> or not the Clippers, the Pelicans, uh, four and four and six. They were uh, looking good. Four and one have lost five straight since then. Zion Williamson, you need to turn up. Um, also on a six game win streak, just like Timberwolves is the Rockets who are 0 and three, but are now six and three. Talk about a turnaround. This team is in the process of a rebuild. So it's absolutely amazing that they can uh, get this, get this momentum right now. And last we'll touch on is that the Miami Heat, who are fourth in the Eastern Conference, are on a five-game win streak after starting one and four. They are now six and four. Good for them. Always happy to see stuff like that. But yeah, the NBA season still kicking off. Every team is approaching their just about their 10th game played this week. We'll always be doing check-ins with them throughout the season. 
Heading on to the ice as we check out the NHL. My Minnesota Wild are currently six in the Central Division. They're 5-8-2. and two. Of course, if no one knows, um, the five victories, eight defeats. The two, that's overtime losses. So the NHL, it's kind of a different, different setup than other leagues where they count overtime losses as being able to get a point. So if you get a win, I believe you get two points, losses zero points, and overtime losses one point if I'm... If I'm doing that correctly, it might it might even be that a win is two points. Yes, okay, I said it correctly. Wins two points, losses no points, and overtime losses one point. And they go off of points to uh, qualify. But the best team in the NHL right now is the Boston Brewers, 11-1-2, only three losses on the season, looking absolutely impressive. Second is the Panthers, who are 9-4-1 on a four-game win streak. Good for them. I'm trying to find any other streaks that are sort of um, ah, pr- pronouncing or protruding out. Stars are 10-3-1 on a three-game win streak. Dallas Stars, that is. Um, three-game losing streak for the Wild now. Ugh, just absolutely terrible. Rangers are top of the Metropolitan Division. 11-2-1 on a three-game win streak. At the bottom, the Blue Jackets are 4-7-4 on a five-game losing streak. And in the final division, the Golden Knights, 12-2-1 actually look like the best team in the league. They're coming off a big win. They have 25 points. Well, very impressive. Sharks, 2-12-1. Well, the worst team in the league is the San Jose Sharks, who at one point were 0-10. So, I mean, kind of a turnaround for them. They were on like an 11-game losing streak, 0-10-1. For they won two straight games, but now they've lost two. Don't know if they're going to be able to rally, but... Canucks, 11-3-1 as well, with one uh, on a one-game win streak. The Predators, with the number one prospect, Connor Bedard, are 5-8. Haven't been to overtime yet, though, so... Or if they've been, they've won. Good for them, but they are coming off of a loss. We'll see what uh, the rest of the NHL season brings as we continue to move along. Last league that we're going to touch on before we get to our NFL league is, of course, college football. We always look at the uh, top 25 of the college football playoffs, the college football rankings, as we uh, get more towards bowl season. All right, we're getting towards the end of everything, so we always like to take a look at the changes that have taken place. So, 25 teams, some moved up, some moved down, some are still undefeated. Let's take a look at it. So, at number 25, we have the Liberty Flames. They ranked 25 last week, still 25. They're 10-0 on the year, defeated Old Dominion 38-10 this past weekend. Their QB, Kadon Salter, threw for three touchdowns and ran for two more touchdowns as the Flames, under first-year head coach James Chadwell, improved to a perfect 10-0 for the first time in school history. They'll play the University of Massachusetts next Saturday. Happy for the Liberty um, Flames, you know. This is always a team that I feel is ranked 12-13 to 13 in March Madness. Don't really hear much out of Liberty Flames. I know they're kind of decent in hockey, but good for them. Starting out 10-0, only a couple weeks left. Keep it rolling. At number 24, having a crazy nine-spot drop-off is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. OSU was ranked 15th last week. They're now 24th after losing to UCF. 45-3. They're now 7-3 on the season. Oklahoma State became only the second top 15 team in the AP poll era, since 1936 that is, to lose by more than 40 points to a sub-500 team. UCF doesn't even have a positive record, and they absolutely blew out um, number 15 ranked Oklahoma State. So... Oklahoma State, there was at one point a potential to be in the championship. Those dreams have since long faded, and it's been a hard, a hard plummet to the bottom of the leaderboard. 
On a side note, I am still recovering my sickness. If anyone watched the last episode, I've just had a nasty cold all week, and, you know, it's been making my voice raspy. So occasionally I need to pause, get a drink of water before I uh, keep rolling, which was actually super tough this morning as my voice didn't even get dry. I just had mucus before I was going on the news, so I kept having to, like, hawker a bit. It was super unfortunate, but uh, we were able to bang out that interview this morning. So keeping us moving at 23, we have the now, no, oh, not ranked last week, but ranked this week, Kansas State Wildcats. They're 7-3. They defeated Baylor 59-25. to Wow, putting up 59 points last week. The Wildcats scored their most points in a game since 2016, where they scored 63 against FAU, and their most in a conference game since 2011 against Kansas, where they scored 59. Wow. Impressive stuff from Kansas State. This is a team that always does well in March Madness. That's where I usually compare these college teams. But, um, yeah, good for you guys becoming ranked. At number 22, we have the North Carolina Tar Heels. They were ranked 24th last week. They jumped two spots after defeating Duke 47-45 to in double OT. They're now 8-2 and on the year. Tez Walker, who had seven catches for 162 yards, became only the third UNC player with more than 160 receiving yards against Duke as the Tar Heels won their fifth straight against their arch rivals. Coming in at number 21, we have the Tennessee Volunteers. They were ranked 14th last week. There's at one point they were in the top five almost, but they lost to Missouri 36-7 this past weekend and are now 7-3 and and have dropped from the 14th spot to now the 21st spot. Heading into Saturday's matchup, the Vols had won four straight over the Tigers, and in two years under Josh Hipple, had outscored them 128-48. to Next Saturday, they'll play Georgia, but man, Tennessee, you guys have fallen off hard. I, I almost feel bad for you. At 20, Notre Dame fighting Irish. They jumped two spots from 22. They were on a bye last weekend, but, uh, you know, they have lost two of their past three regular season games against ACC foes after winning their previous 30 as they'll take on Wake Forest next Saturday. Notre Dame, uh, just, you know, they, they're just, I feel like they're always an average team every year, but they're a notable team. They get primetime spots. At number 19, jumping four spots from last week's 23 spot, Arizona Wildcats, they defeated Colorado 34-31. The Wildcats' four-game Pac-12 wing streak is tied for its longest in the past 25 years. They'll play Utah next Saturday. Colorado losing again. Wow, Arizona, definitely a basketball school and also definitely a party school. At number 18, oh my gosh, I, I freaking love this. The James Madison Dukes, they jumped three spots from their ranking of 21 last week. They're now 10-0 on the year. They blew out UConn 44-6. And the Dukes improved to 10-0 for the second time in program history. Thanks to Jordan McLeod's four touchdown passes. It marked his sixth game with three or more passing scores this season. And the only other QB with that many, USC's Caleb Williams, Washington's Michael Penix Jr., and LSU's Jaden Daniels. All future NFL quarterbacks right there. They'll play Appalachian State at 2 p.m. next Saturday. Always happy when I see teams like James Madison going undefeated, tearing it up, getting some uh, recognition. I'm happy for them. And number 17, a team that was undefeated a bit ago, but is now 9-1. They were ranked 20th last week, now 17th. Is Tulane, the green wave, defeated Tulsa 24-22. Shedro Lewis became the first Tulane player since 2003 with a 100-yard kickoff return. They'll play Florida Atlantic next Saturday. Good job, Tulane. And number 16, we have the Utah Utes, who were ranked 13th last weekend, but they lost to Washington 35-28. They're now 7-3. After starting the season 4-0, the Utes are now 3-3 in their past six games, with all three losses, again against Oregon State, Oregon, and Washington. 
Uh, yikes. They'll play uh, Arizona next Saturday. Best of luck to you, Utah. It's been a sad fall off. Ranked at number 15 after being ranked 18th last week, the LSU Tigers. 7-3 on the season. They defeated Florida 52-35 to last weekend. Tigers QB Jaden Daniels became the first player in FBS history to throw for more than 350 yards and run for more than 200 yards. They'll play Georgia State next Saturday. LSU doing your thing, you know, at the moment you're kind of just a meme because of Livy Dunn. At number 14, we have the Oklahoma Sooners who jumped three spots um, from last week. They're now 8-2. They blew out West Virginia 59-20 this past Saturday. QB Dylan Gabriel tied a Big 12 single-game record with eight total touchdown passes. Oh, eight total touchdowns, five passing, three rushing, matching Geno Smith in 2012 and B.J. Simmons in 2003. How about that? Geno Smith in 2012 set a Big 12 record. Good for Geno. Good for Geno. At number 13, we have Old Miss, who drops three spots from last weekend's number 10 ranking. They're now 8-2. They got blown out by Georgia 52-17. Quashawn Judkins had two rushing touchdowns to give him 14 on the season, ranking second in program history, behind only the 16 he scored last year. So good for Quashawn, but Old Miss fell to the mighty power of the Georgian Empire. At number 12, <laughs> dropping three spots, Penn State Lions. They were nine last week. They have finally fallen out of the top 10. They're now 12, 8 and 2 on the season. Their head coach, James Franklin, fell to a 4 and 16 combined against Michigan Ohio State in his uh, tenure with the Lions. He's also dra- dropped three of t- 20 games against AP top 10 teams. Yikes, Penn State's head coach sucks. That's all I got out of that. At number 11, the Missouri Tigers, after blowing out Tennessee 36-7, to they'll jump up five spots. Uh, their running back, Cody Schrader, became the first SEC player to have 200 rushing yards and 100 receiving yards in the same game. They'll play Florida next Saturday. Good for Missouri. Maybe you'll enter the top 10 before the end of the season. At number 10, the Oregon State Beavers. They were 12th last week, but they, did, oh my gosh, put up an absurd 62 points. In their 62-17 win over Stanford this past Saturday, the Beavers' 45-point margin of victory was their largest in a Pac-12 game since 2012, and their 598 yards of offense marked their most in any game since 2019. They'll play Washington next Saturday. Oregon Beavers, go make history. And number nine, jumping two spots from last week's Louisville Cardinals. They were their 9-1. and one. They were 11 last week, 9 this week. They defeated Virginia 31-24 this past Saturday. Cardinals outscored the Cavaliers 17-3 in the fourth quarter, capped off by Isaac Guerrero's game-winning 73-yard rushing touchdown with three and a half minutes left. They'll play Miami next Saturday at noon. Louisville, go make Lamar proud. And number eight, they were eight last week. The Alabama Crimson Tide. They defeated Kentucky 49-21. Their QB, Jalen Milrow, became the first player in Alabama history with three passing touchdowns and three rushing scores in a single game. Alabama QBs still making history. They will play the unfortunate Chattanooga at noon next Saturday. Alabama, you know what? They'll, the commission, the committee will do anything to get Alabama in the playoffs. So don't be surprised if the 9-1 team makes it. At number 7, the Texas Longhorns, same as same ranking as they were last week. 9-1, they defeated TCU 29-26 last weekend. Despite failing to score 30 points for the first time all season, the Longhorns held on thanks to Quinn Edwards, Ewers 317 passing yards, and Jonathan Brooks 104 rushing yards on the ground. Good for Texas. They'll play Iowa State next Saturday. At number 6, no changes here. The Oregon Ducks, same as they were last week. They defeat USC 36-27. By the way, USC not even ranked anymore. 
Uh, Oregon's 9-1. Bo Nix registered 400 passing yards and four touchdowns versus USC, becoming the first Oregon QB to do it in a game since Justin Herbert in 2016. They'll play Arizona State next Saturday. How about that? Bo Nix, the next Justin Herbert. I mean, Justin Herbert was doing good this weekend. Lost on a game-winning field goal to the Lions, but man, Chargers are the Vikings of last year. That's how I can describe it. Or no, the Vikings... Vikings of not this year, but maybe the year before when we lost a bunch of one-score games. At number five, same as they were last week, the Washington Huskies, 10-0 on the year. They defeated Utah 35-28. Their QB, Michael Penix Jr., threw for 332 yards, becoming the first player in Huskies history with more than 8,000 passing yards in a two-year span. How about that? They'll play Oregon State next Saturday at uh, 7.30 p.m., but man, good for Washington looking to get into the playoffs. At number four, the Florida State Seminoles, 10-0, same as they were last week, defeated Miami 27-20 this past Saturday. Now, while their QB Jordan Travis saw his streak of accounting for at least two touchdowns end at 16 games this game this past weekend, the Seminoles won their 16th straight game, tied for the third longest streak in school history. They'll play North Alabama next Saturday, so don't be surprised if FSU moves to 11-0 easily. At number three, same as they were last week, the Ohio State Buccaneers, 10-0 on the year. They defeat Michigan State 38-3. Marvin Harrison Jr. became the first Buckeye to record 1,000 receiving yards in two separate seasons as he went for over 100 yards in his seventh game of the year. They'll play Minnesota next Saturday, but man, Marvin Harrison Jr., you'll be going in the top five picks next, uh, next NFL draft. At number two, same as it was last week, no changes in the top eight, Michigan, 10-0, defeat Penn State 24-15, and they've improved to 10-0 for the second consecutive season, the first time it has done that so since uh, 1971 and in 1974, and they earned its 999th win in program history, so they'll play Maryland next Saturday and look to move that to their thousandth win in Michigan Wolverines football history. And at number one, I mean, there's just no shocker here. The Georgia Bulldogs. They blew out Old Miss 52-17 and proved to 10-0. And they're now, they rolled to their 27th straight win, too short of setting the all-time mark for an SEC team with their third largest margin of victory over an AP Top 10 team. Now they got a tough one against Tennessee next Saturday, but these Georgia Bulldogs are hungry and they're looking to win the championship. And honestly, I see no reason why they shouldn't. It's it's just ridiculous how good these teams have been. And no changes in the top eight. Um, changes from the 9 to 25. But other than that, I mean, I don't know if we're going to check in next week, especially if it's just another average, you know, like going over every team. that's like, oh, same for Alabama, same for Georgia, same for Oregon, same for Ohio State. But I always like checking in and seeing what's up with all of our college football uh, teams. One thing I did want to point out, as I always point out, is how good of a drink Hoist is. Super, super tasty, good IV level hydration. Ran by veterans, supports veterans. Very much love Hoist. If they want to sponsor me, I will not object. Plus, I'll slap that all over my social media. It's like, honestly, if I were to get sponsored by anyone, they would love me because I'd post it every single day. I'd make Instagram posts with it. It'd be super good, but Hoist, you know, I'll tag you in my Instagram post. I'm always here. I love ya. One thing I'll say about battling this uh, this cold that I've been battling, the stuffiness, has been hot chocolate, honestly. I mean, hot chocolate, a hidden gem from my childhood. My mother put me back on it when I went home for the weekend, and I was like, heck yeah. I mean, who doesn't love a little hot chocolate? So if there's any hot chocolate brands out there, let me know. I will happily taste you. Ah, refreshing. 
But yes, let's get into uh, one of our two main segments we now do, at least until the NFL season's over. And that is, of course, recapping or previewing the upcoming NFL games and, um, of course, our UFC. But we will save UFC as we will recap week 10 of the NFL. I mean, I'm almost... I don't gonna lie, I'm getting a little sad, guys. You know, the just realizing how fast everything goes by. Um, it's almost the end of the season, right? We're at the, we're past the halfway point. You know, as I've mentioned, my quarter's coming to an end of my uh, uh, fall semester of junior year. I mean, I'm just I'm so aware of how fast everything's going by. But it's been a blast in college, and it's been a blast this season. So let's check out all the games from Week Ten of the NFL that I've at least got on so far. I mean, we still got one more game left tonight. The uh, Broncos will take on the Bills on Monday Night Football. My pick for that is the Bills, but uh, you know what? If Cortland Sutton wants to score, how many points? I need Cortland Sutton to score 57 points if I can win one of my matchups. So that would be super cool, but let's check out Week Ten of the NFL. So, we actually had a delayed episode this past weekend. We usually drop them on Mondays and Thursdays, but due to my sickness, I dropped it on Saturday. So, we already talked about the Bears being the Panthers 16-13. to 13. So, we're going to get into it with our Sunday action. So, actually, this will cover all of our Sunday games. We started off Sunday with a matchup between the Colts and the Patriots. Colts came up top. Uh, they were in, I believe, Germany. I believe they were in Germany, I think it was. The Colts win 10-6 to over the Patriots, the lone touchdown of the game going to Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor got a one-yard rush from the goal line in the first quarter, and after that, it was just a defensive battle the whole way. Top fantasy performers from the game, I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. had 16.4, Jonathan Taylor 14.5, Colts D had 13. As for Patriots, 14.4 to DeMario Douglas, 13.2 to Ramondre Stevenson, 10.8 to Ezekiel Elliott. It was a tough game, man. I mean, I didn't really watch it. I'm going to be honest. I was asleep. I'm trying to sleep as much as I can to recover from this cold. But, I mean, you know, it's tough. It's tough getting over it. Colts now 5-5 five and five on the year. Only minus 6 in point differential now. They find themselves on a little two-game win streak. As for the Patriots, make it a three-game losing streak. 2-8 and eight now on the year. I mean, they're at a minus 97-point differential. Patriots, you know, I, I just look at the draft next year. You guys are you guys are absolutely terrible. Gardner Minshew threw for 194 yards and a pick. But Jonathan Taylor, 69 yards rushing for a touchdown was impressive. Uh, Michael Pittman, 8 catches, 84 yards. Josh Downs had 2 catches for 40 yards. Just not much going on in this game. Mac Jones had 170 yards and an interception and was benched. In the fourth quarter for Bailey Zappi, who on three of seven attempts threw for 25 yards and a pick. Just absolutely terrible. Madre Stevenson did the best he could. Three catches, 14 yards, and rushed for 88 yards. Ezekiel Elliott rushed for 54 yards. Two catches for 34 yards. And Mario Douglas, six catches, 84 yards. You know, just uh, just a terrible year for the Patriots and the Colts. Middle of the pack, you know, I'm not going to say... It's unrealistic that they could potentially win the AFC South if the Jaguars lose, Texans lose, or even sneak into a wild card spot. So good, good stuff for them. I predict, correctly predicted the Colts would win, so I was happy they did. Colts and Patriots will both go on a bye week next week, so you will not see them in action into week 12. So it'll be a while for the Colts and Patriots fans get to watch their teams play. Patriots will play the Giants in week 12, and the Colts will be taking on the Buccaneers. So... You'll have to wait like two weeks, unfortunately. For me, I'm happy because those both those teams are kind of boring to watch. 
Heading into our noon games, the Texans beat the Bengals 30-27. to Absolute stunner here. And by the way, Texans went up like 20-7 to or something. It was absolutely ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. I was watching 20-7, to then turned into 20-17, uh, to then it was 27-17, then it was 27-27 for Matt Amendola. Hit a 38-yard field goal as time expired to give the Texans the win over the Bengals. Absolutely shocking result there. I did, uh, I did not see that coming, if I'm being honest. I did not see that coming. I was expecting bigger things from the Bengals, but nonetheless, the Texans get it done. We had some big fantasy performers in this one. Noah Brown of the Texans, 24.2 fantasy points. Devin Singletary, 23.1. And C.J. Stroud dropping 19. Jamar Chase had a crisp 23.4 day. And Joe Burrow, 19.88. Even Tyler Boyd, 19.77, was getting it done. Houston, though, C.J. Stroud, 356 yards, a touchdown, a pick. Was looking good. I mean, he rushed for two yards, or he rushed for eight yards for a touchdown. But Devin Singletary, 30 rushes, 150 yards and a touchdown. Absolutely insane performance from Devin Singletary. Happy to see him getting a, getting a good win here. Noah Brown, as we mentioned, big fancy performance. He had seven catches for 172 yards, but it was tanked out catching the lone touchdown. Six catches, 56 yards. Uh, Dalton Schultz, too, four catches, 71 yards. Good for him. You know, Joe Burrow, 347 yards and two touchdowns, but those two picks, those hurt. Joe Mixon, 46 yards rushing for a touchdown. Tyler Boyd, eight catches, 117 yards. Jamar, five catches, 124 yards and a touchdown. And uh, Irwin, two catches, 54 yards and a touchdown for the tight end. But yeah, you know, Texans, Bengals, just been, just been middle of the pack this season. That's all I can really say. Bengals winning streak snapped, sadly. They're now 5-4. and four. And, you know, 5-4 record is pretty good, but they're in the AFC North, so they are bottom of the pack. I mean, Steelers and Browns both picking up wins this week. Ravens losing. AFC North is probably one of the most must-watch divisions of the NFL. And as for Texans, you know, we just talked about the Colts. Texans are 5-4 and four now. By the way, plus 25-point differential, a little two-game win streak, only a game behind the Jaguars now. Texans, man, I'll, I'll ride at the Texans the rest of the season. I'm happy for them. Good stuff. The Texans, they play the Cardinals next week. Very winnable game. As for the Bengals, they will meet the Ravens on Thursday Night Football. That should actually be a pretty good game. But yeah, sad stuff around, but uh, Joe Mixon getting that touchdown was really clutch fantasy-wise. Uh, oh, actually, that's a league. I'm losing it anyway, so doesn't even matter. Keeping us rolling as we got a lot of games to get through. Steelers beat the Packers 23-19. to was very, very happy about that result. Um, Steelers 6-3 and now. A little two-game win streak. Do have a minus point differential. They're like minus 26 or something. But I wouldn't count that against them because they've they've been stringing together wins. And with their uh, offensive coordinator, who is gosh-awful, I'll, uh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, big game for Pitt. Kenny Pickett, uh, 126 yards throwing. That was it. Wow. Uh, oh, but, well, you know, Najee Harris, 82 yards and a touchdown. TJ Warren, 101 yards and a touchdown. So this was done on the ground. Wow. George Pickens, three catches, 45 yards. Deontay Johnson, one catch, 17 yards. Cameron Hayward, three catches, 32 yards. Yeah, not much going on. As for the Packers, 289 yards for Jordan Love. Two touchdowns, but two picks. Rushing-wise, A.J. Dillon led the day, 70 yards. Jalen Reed, 84 yards and a touchdown. Luke Musgrave, two catches, 64 yards. Uh, Romeo Dobbs, three catches, 31 yards and a touchdown. Just not enough. 
It's not enough for this Packers team. They're now 3-6. and six. Minus three-point differential, though, so not too bad. They're third in the NFC North, though. Bears are creeping on them. Honestly, the Bears could pass the Packers. Packers might be the worst team in the NFC. But uh, NFC North, I should say. Whole NFC, there's way worse teams we'll get to. Like the Panthers, for example, 1-8. and eight. But, um, yeah, always happy to watch the Packers lose, if I'm being honest. I, I hate the Packers. Um, next week, though, next week, though, for the Packers and the Steelers. Steelers will meet the Browns, so a tough one there for the Steelers. It'll be interesting to see if they can pull that one out. And as for the Packers, the Packers will be doing a battle against the Chargers, but uh, at home. So nice to be going back to Green Bay if you're a Packers fan. Continuing our look um, at all the matchups of Week 10, the Buccaneers beat the Titans 20-6. to Good win for the Bucks. They were on a little losing streak for a time. Baker Mayfield throws for 278 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Shad White rushed for 51 yards. Mike Evans, a massive six-catch, 143-yard uh, day with a touchdown. Very good. He had 26 fancy points. As for the Titans, I mean, Will Levis, 199 yards, a pick. Not much to really say there. Derrick Henry only rushed for 24 yards. A pitiful Pitiful performance, but uh, you know what? I feel I feel happy that the Bucks were able to get a win. They are now four and five, second in the NFC South, a very winnable division for uh, the Saints, Bucks, and Falcons. It's a three-way race in the NFC South. As for the uh, the Titans, I mean, it's you know they're three and six, bottom of the AFC South, and honestly, now looking at it, are third worst in the AFC. So, tough goings for them. A little two-game losing streak. Minus 26-point differential. I I don't really know what to say if you're a Titans fan. But uh, good or good for the Bucks. That's all I'm going to say. Buccaneers will be taking on the 49ers next week. Tough matchup there. As for the Titans, they will play the Jaguars. So, a big divisional matchup coming at them next week. Um, the Browns, Ravens, ooh, Browns, Ravens, this was a good game, Browns beat the Ravens 33-31, to this game was crazy, there was one point, one point where it was 17-3, to and the Ravens were winning, then it was 17-9, to then it was 24-9, to then it was 24 to, I believe it was like 16, then it was 31-16, and then two straight touchdowns and a field goal later, the Browns win the game. But yeah, I mean, it's an absolute shootout. It was a great defensive battle. I mean, we start off the game. First first play, like the second play of the game, uh, Kyle Hamilton gets an 18-yard interception return. So that was absolutely crazy for the Ravens. But um, man, Lamar Jackson, 223 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. That really hurt him. He was their leading rusher at 41 yards. Uh, Gus Edwards had 24 yards with a touchdown punching. Same for Mitchell. He had a little touchdown punching. Zay Flowers, five catches, 73 yards of the day. But it was Odell Beckham, one catch, 40 yards. That was their only uh, passing touchdown. For Lamar, as for Cleveland, Deshaun Watson, 213 yards, touchdown on a pick. Jerome Ford, 107 yards. But it's Kareem Hunt, who's 32 yards rushing, as added to a goal line punch and touchdown. Mari Cooper, six touches, such a, six catches for 98 yards of the day. Elijah Moore, five catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown was the only uh, receiving touchdown. Browns are now 6-3, and three, yet third in the AFC North on a little two-game win streak. An impressive plus 44-point differential for them. Ravens, despite having a plus 113-point differential, 7-3 and three record, are now uh, on a losing streak. A one-game losing streak doesn't hurt them too much. They're still atop the AFC North by a game. But Steelers and Browns, both in the hunt. Next weekend, the um, 
Is anyone on a bye? No, the Ravens will be taking on the Bengals on Thursday Night Football, and the Browns will play the Steelers. So very winnable games for both of those teams, a crucial one for the Ravens. 49ers played the Jaguars, and man, oh man, it was a blowout victory as the 49ers beat the Jaguars 34-3. Absolutely crazy. Christian McCaffrey's touchdown streak ended in this game. This was his uh, 17th game. Uh, He was going for 18th. This was supposed to be his 18th straight game getting a uh, touchdown, but it ended here as he was not able to find the end zone. Despite that, I mean, 20 fantasy points. Brock Purdy had 23. George Kill, 20. Leading uh, fantasy points receiver, 14 for Christian Kirk. It was a tough day to be a Jaguar. It was a very tough day. The 49ers just had their number. Brock Purdy, 296 yards, three touchdowns, led the day. They even brought Sam Darnold in for, like, the final two plays of the game. He threw a, he went one for two for six yards, so Sam Darnold getting some uh, time. Chris McCaffrey rushed for 95 yards, had six catches for 47 yards. But George Kittle, three catches, 116 yards, and a t- uh, kind of tutty. Brandon Ayuk, three catches, 55 yards, kind of tutty. And Kyle G- Jusek, two catches, 26 yards, and a tutty. Good stuff. As for Jacksonville, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, 185 yards, two picks. He was benched. C.J. Burhard came in to end the game. Like, same as Sam Darnold. Got two two passes, five yards. Travis Etienne only rushed for 35 yards. Christian Kirk, six catches, 104 yards was the only good thing for the Jaguars in this one. This was a massive, massive win for the 49ers. As for the Jaguars, 6-3, and three, still atop the AFC South, but the Texans and Colts on their tail. Do have a plus six point differential, but this one certainly hurt it. Um, giving up, losing by 31 points. Very, very brutal. Very, very brutal. But I will say the 49ers, man, six and three, now tied with Seahawks atop the NFC West. But the 49ers technically do still hold the top spot. They have an impressive plus 101. Plus 111 point differential for the 49ers. Very, very good bounce back after being on a three-game losing streak. 49ers will play the Buccaneers next weekend. Very winnable game for them. As for the Jags, they will meet the uh, Titans. So should be a good one there. Those are games where usually the Titans win those. Honestly, if um, history repeats itself. And let's get into my favorite game of the week, the Minnesota Vikings. Blah, oh, they were blowing out the Saints. It was it was like 27-3 to 3 at some point. But in typical Vikings fashion, we gave up uh, some, some touchdowns at the end. But the Vikings beat the Saints 27-19. to 19. This Vikings team is a whole new team compared to the first five games of the season. Um, Chris Olave, 21.4 fantasy points. Alvin Kamara, 18.5. And A.T. Perry, 11.8 were the fantasy leaders for the Saints. As for the Vikings, T.J. Uh, Hawkinson, 30.4 points. Josh Dobbs, 25.12. And Jordan Aston, 10.9. But yeah, this was a crazy start. It was the best first half we've had all season, maybe probably of the last few seasons. I mean, we went up 24-3 to at halftime. It was absolutely crazy. Um, the team was balling. I mean, Josh Dobbs, 268 yards and a touchdown. He also had 44 yards rushing and a touchdown. Dude, I'm a Dobbs lover. I know I've been saying it since the season began. I love Joshua Dobbs. Ty, Ty, Ty Chandler, 45 yards and a touchdown. Um, was the best uh, running back on the day. Masson, 27 yards. Got hurt. Also had a catch for six yards. TJ Hawkinson led the day, though. 11 catches, 134 yards and a touchdown. Was an absolute monster. Jordan Asson, four catches, 69 yards. Brandon Powell, four catches, 35 yards. 
It's looking pretty decent too. Uh, Derek Carr at 110 yards before he got injured, and Jameis Winston came in where he threw for 122 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks, including the pick which sealed the game for the Vikings' victory. Alvin Kamara rushed for 42 yards and also had seven catches for 33 yards. So seven catches led the day, but it was Chris Olave, six catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown, who looked great. And A.T. Perry, two catches, 38 yards, and touchdown looked good himself. Even Rashid Shahid had five catches for 24 yards with the Vikings. They pull out a scrappy one that's now five straight for Minnesota. They're six and four, second in the NFC North. And um, it's going to be us competing with, I mean, looking at it, the probably, you know, the, the Saints, Bucks, and Falcons, one of those three teams will win the NFC South. I, I have no idea whose money I'd put on. Maybe the Bucks or Saints. But Seahawks are pretty similar to where the Vikings are at, where it looks like we'll be competing for a wild card spot, along with the Cowboys. So it's going to be us, Seahawks, and Cowboys probably competing for that final wild card spot. Um, two of the three of our teams will get it. But yeah, we're six and four. We have a what are we up to now? A plus twenty-four point differential. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. And uh, yeah, a little five-game win streak. Happy, happy to be a Vikings fan. Uh, Saints, you know, for five and five, still atop the NFC South somehow. And only a plus 16-point differential. It's not too bad. Um, just a lot of interesting stuff going on. Saints will take a bye next week, but the Vikings will take on the Broncos on Sunday Night Football. Very excited for that one. I always love primetime games, especially being a Vikings fan. Um, let's uh, keep it rolling. As uh, Wow, just, you know, going over all these games, it adds up. Cardinals beat the Falcons 25-3, to probably one of the biggest upsets, if not the biggest, of uh, the week as Kyler Murray returns, has himself a nice little day, but a uh, top fancy performance be John Robinson, 17.6. Uh, other than that, Taylor Hockey, 9.6 for the uh, Falcons, not much going on there. Trey McBride, 21 points. Matt Prater, 18. Kyler Murray, 17.26. I mean, this was competitive from the get-go. It was 7-3, I mean, then it was 17-25. Then it was freaking 20-25. I have no idea. Just back and forth matchup the whole way. It ends with a Matt Prater game-winning field goal. Incredible stuff. Kyler Murray, 249 yards and a pick and 33 rushes for a touchdown was a good return game for him. James Conner rushed for 73 yards. Um, and backup QB, um, Toon, actually punched in a touchdown from the one-yard line. Pretty crazy. Trey McBride, eight catches, 131 yards. Rondell Moore, five catches, 43 yards. Marquise Brown only had one catch for 28 yards. So, big good performance from Arizona. As for the Falcons, Taylor Heike, 55 yards and a touchdown. Desmond Ritter came in towards the end, had 39 yards, and he uh, ran in a touchdown for uh, 11 yards. Um, Bijan Robinson, 95 yards rushing, and a touchdown looked great. Drake London, three catches, 36 yards, most receptions on the team. Wow. Tough to be a Falcons fan. That's all I'm going to say. Falcons are now on a three-game losing streak, four and six, third in the NFC South. It has not been pretty. As for the Cardinals, you know, you're 2-8. and eight. You're obviously the, not even the worst team in the league now. You're second to the worst team, worst team in the NFC, that is. But, um, you know, the Kyler Murray could spring some life into this team. Kyler Murray could really spring some life into this team. And next weekend, week 11, the Cardinals will be taking on the Texans, which honestly is a more winnable game than I think we're giving the Cardinals credit for. And on my post-preview show, I said this was a winnable game for the Cardinals. As for the Falcons, uh, they have a bye week next week. Thank goodness for them. This team looks terrible. The Falcons have honestly just looked worse and worse, and despite having close matchups, it's it's just been ugly. It's been ugly to be a Falcons fan, but uh, good luck next year. That's all I'm going to say. 
probably the actual best game of the uh, of the week. Um, Lions and Chargers, an absolute shootout, forty-one to thirty-eight. The Lions win on a game-winning field goal. So a uh, big shout to Riley Patterson hitting a forty-one yarder as time expired. Man, this was an absolute. Absolute heater. Lions improved to seven and two as the Chargers unfortunately fall to four and five. Let me just say, Amon Ross St. Brown, 30.5 points, Jameer Gibbs, 26.2, and Jared Goff, 21.12. Top fantasy performers there. As for Chargers, Keenan Allen, a huge 40.5 points. Justin Herbert, 28.42, and Austin Eckler, 21.5. Fantasy fantasy people loved this game. Talk about Detroit first. I mean, Jared Goff, 333 yards, two touchdowns. He looked perfect. David Montgomery, 116 yards and a touchdown. Jameer Gibbs, 77 yards and two touchdowns. That's got to be the best dual backfield in the league. Absolutely incredible. Monroe St. Brown had eight catches for 156 yards and a touchdown. Um, Brock Wright had two catches, 23 yards and a touchdown. Sam Laporta, four catches, 40 yards. Jameer Gibbs, three catches, 35 yards. Just going absolutely ballistic. As for the Chargers, Justin Herbert, 323 yards, four touchdowns. Did throw a pick, but it was a very... He was throwing the ball out of bounds, and literally the Lions, Lions secondary guy, Lions safety, leaned out over out of bounds to catch it. It was pretty impressive. Um, Austin Eckler rushed for 67 yards and a touchdown. Keenan Allen, 11 catches, 175 yards and two touchdowns. He was the best wide receiver of this week. Austin Eckler had four catches, 48 yards, and uh, yeah, uh, Guyton, 41 yards, a touchdown. Quentin Johnson, 34 catches, and a touchdown. Yeah, good, good, good stuff all around for the Chargers and the Lions. It sucks. You know, Lions, they're going to improve to 7-2, and two, plus 38-point differential. Um, they, they, they look great. The Lions really look great. They're just competing with the Vikings now. So that should be a very good series when they play towards the end of the year. Chargers, man, it's just tough. You're 4-5. and five despite having a plus 24 point differential they've just been losing close games so uh, i honestly i favor the chargers against lesser teams i really do i really do next weekend chargers will be taking on the packers really like the chargers odds in that one as for the lions i mean they'll take on the bears on the winnable game for them there so both of these teams i mean the chargers the, we're, we'll get to the Raiders in a second, but the Raiders have oddly became a team that the Chargers have to compete with when I really feel like the Chargers are a better team. So tough for the Chargers, but Justin Herbert, all right. I was a Justin Herbert hater, and this season has honestly turned me into a Justin Herbert supporter. So Justin Herbert, I root for you, my friend. Let's get into our last 330 game. As Oh, no, second to last, actually. Oh, wait, what was Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football? Sunday Night Football is Jets and Raiders. Okay. We got a couple more. We got three more games to go over. Cowboys blow out the Giants. Best performance of the week for a team. Cowboys win 49-17. to Absolute crazy, crazy performance. The offense went ballistic. The defense locked them up. This Giants team is terrible. Um, C.D. Lamb, 39.5 fantasy points. Dak Prescott, 37.86. And Brandon Cooks, 32.3. Top fantasy performers for New York. Tommy DeVito... And um, L. Cager, Lawrence Cager, huh? Lawrence Cager must be a wide receiver. But yeah, but Cowboys just went absolutely crazy. I mean, we start. Let me just go over everything. We start off the first quarter. Uh, just C.D. Lamb caught a touchdown. He he actually ran in a touchdown, I should say, on a little handoff from a little reverse handoff from Dak Prescott. And I was like, okay, you know what? The Giants actually looking pretty decent here. Second quarter, uh, Dak Prescott ran in a touchdown. He threw a touchdown. He threw another touchdown. Uh, and then you know it was twenty-eight to seven. You know we start off, we start off well, 
And um, it just got worse and worse from there. Michael Gallup caught a touchdown. CeeDee Lamb caught a touchdown. Rico Doel caught a touchdown. Everyone was catching touchdowns. Dak Prescott, 404 yards, four touchdowns to throw a pick. But that was early in the game, all right? Um, Tony Pollard, 55 yards rushing. Uh, Dowdle, Dowdle. No idea who Dowdle is. Back running back for the Cowboys, 79 yards in a touchdown. Dak Prescott, 17 yards, rushed in a touchdown. CeeDee Lamb rushed in a touchdown. But Brandon Cooks, man, 173 yards, nine catches, a touchdown. CeeDee Lamb, 11 catches, 151 yards, a touchdown. Gallup, two catches, 70 yards, a touchdown. Jake Ferguson, four catches, 26 yards, a touchdown. This offense went ballistic. I could not believe it. It was absolutely crazy. Dak Prescott having an MVP such performance. Tommy DeVito, 86 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, just terrible. Saquon, 66 yards rushing. DeVito had 41 yards rushing. Uh, Bellinger, the tight end, two catches, 34 yards, had the most yards. As we mentioned, Cager was the only one to catch a touchdown. Actually, Sterling Shepard, one uh, one reception, two-yard touchdown. So, Giants are, ugh, Giants are bad. Two and eight, worst offense in the league, 118 yards, giving up 266 points. It's been terrible. As for Cowboys, six and three, second in the NFC East. If the Eagles didn't exist, Cowboys would be winning by a mile, and they have now crossed the uh, plus 104 point differential, so they're over 100 points uh, ahead of their uh, points for to points against. Cowboys, very, very happy for you guys. Um, should be interesting to see how you guys uh, stack up the rest of the year. Next week, Cowboys will play the Panthers, which just doesn't even seem fair. How do the Cowboys end up playing the Panthers? That, that makes no sense. And as for the Giants, the Giants will do battle against the Commanders, which is honestly a winnable game for them, but We'll see what comes of it. Speaking of the Commanders, that was our last 330 game, actually, as the Seahawks beat the Commanders 29-26. B. John Robinson had 27.7 fantasy points. Sam Howell, 24.18. And Antonio Gibson, 16.5. Geno Smith dropped a 24.06 fantasy bomb. Tyler Lockett, 23.2. And their kicker, Jason Myers, 21 fantasy points. An incredible performance from Jason Myers. Yeah, Seahawks. Get it done. A game-winning field goal from Jason Myers from 43 yards to seal it. This was a shootout, man. I kept seeing it on Red Zone. I mean, we had the Cowboys game on the big TV, but I kept seeing this. I kept seeing the Seahawks game. I mean, impressive stuff. Geno, 369 yards, two touchdowns. Kenneth Walker rushed for 63 yards. Zach Charbonnet, 44 yards. DK Metcalf, seven catches, 98 yards. Tyler Lockett still getting it done. Eight catches, 92 yards, and touchdown. And Kath Walker had one catch for 64 yards and a touchdown. Impressive stuff from those boys. Sam Howell, 312 yards and three touchdowns, has really cemented himself as an excellent QB there in um, Washington. Bijan rushed for 38 yards, but had 119 receiving yards on six catches. Got a touchdown there. Same for Antonio Gibson. Those little dump-off passes, five catches, 40 yards, and a touchdown. Um, Brown. Brown caught, had two catches, four rounds, and a touchdown. No idea who that wide receiver is. Uh, Terry McLaurin, four catches, 33 yards. Don't know if I can start that boy again. It's it's tough, man. Sam Howell picks and chooses his targets. They, uh, the slow passes to the, the dump-off passes to the wide receivers were working well. Commanders, sadly, fall to four and six, third in the NFC East. Looking like they might not make the playoffs this year. You know what? 217 points for, 274 points against. This defense has been giving up way too many points. As for the Seahawks, second in the NFC West, they only have a minus one point differential, 200 points for to 201 against. And you know what? It's going to be them versus the Seahawks the rest of the way to see who wins the NFC West. It should be a close battle, though. 
both teams have been looking good. Seahawks really surprising me how good they've been this year. I'm, uh, I'm happy for them. Seahawks will play the Rams next weekend. Ooh, should be a good call from the divisional battle in that one. As for the Commanders, they play the Giants. Winnable game there. Let's get into our uh, final game, Monday Night Football. Not Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, as I didn't even watch it. The Raiders win second straight game 16-12 over the Jets. This Jets team is just so bad. I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to do with this Jets team. They're just not good. And their defense plays well. It's this offense. It's the offense, all right? Scoring plays. I mean, we had field goals all throughout the entire game. Field goals all the way until Aiden O'Connell made a seven-yard touchdown pass to Michael Meyer in the fourth quarter. But, uh, yeah, top fantasy performers, Garrett Wilson, 18.3. Greg Zerline, 16. Tyler Conklin, 14. Devontae Adams, 14.6, Daniel Carlson, 14, and Josh Jacobs, 12.7. Aiden O'Connell, 153 yards, a touchdown and a pick. It was tough. It was tough. The uh, Jets D, their secondary is good. Josh Jacobs still rushed for 116 yards. He's still uh, Devontae Adams, six catches, 86 yards. Uh, Michael Meyer, as we said, three catches, 19 yards, and a touchdown. Jacoby Myers, though, held only two catches for 21 yards. So that secondary man, Sauce Gardner, will lock you up. Zach Wilson, 263 yards is nice, but an interception is not. He also rushed for 54 yards. Brees Hall held the 28 on 13 carries. Garrett Wilson, 9 catches, 93 yards. Tyler Conklin, 7 catches, 73, 70 yards. And Brees Hall, 3 catches, 47 yards was all that was going on. But, man, Raiders just get it done. Nothing more to say. Raiders get it done. A pitiful performance from the Jets offense. Jets are now 4-5, and five, third in the AFC East. But it's, it's just, it's if they could string the other wins, they would be good. You know, they only have, they only have a minus 28 point differential. I'll say that. The defense has only given up 172 points. All right. So far in the AFC, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. There are actually a lot more teams I thought that have given up less than 200 points. But um, it's just tough for the Jets. And, you know, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers wants to return towards the end of the season. And honestly, I'm looking at the Bills. I'm looking at the Colts, the Texans, the Bengals, the Browns, the Steelers, even the Chargers and Raiders. There's too many teams ahead of the Jets that are going to get those two wild card spots. I just do not see it being. I just, oh wait, actually, don't they give out three wild card spots now that I'm thinking about it? Um, we should actually Google that because I'm pretty sure um, how many teams make the NFL playoffs. Is it six or seven? It might actually be three three wildcard teams. Fourteen teams. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you'll have you'll have three wildcard spots if you're the uh if you're the Jets. And honestly right now all three of those are going to the Steelers, Browns, and Bengals. The AFC North, the entire AFC North at the moment will probably be making the uh playoffs. But uh Jets, nothing more to say. As for the Raiders, you know, we'll end this one there NFL talk on a good note. Five and five, two game win streak fighting their way back from being down brutally in the point differential. You know, they're still minus like 30 right now. But you're 500 right now. You've been looking good since you fired your head coach and your GM. And next weekend, you know, you you guys play the Dolphins. You know, they'll they'll really test your team. But after that, you know, I think you guys consider, you know, potentially making the playoffs. But Raiders, happy for you now. As for the Jets, they'll play the Bills next weekend. And honestly, I would not be surprised if they win that game because the Bills lose random divisional (laughs) games. But it was a good week 10. Uh, We'll wrap it up with the Bills and the Broncos tonight. Uh, Don't really know what I need. I mean, it was a 
very bad fantasy week for me, guys. I'm probably I'm, I won in my one league. All right, the one league that I'm the number one team in. Uh, I'm, I won this week, all right? So I'm going to improve to 8-2 and two in a 12-man league. I love that. But in my 10-man money league, uh, $20 buy-in, I got blown out this week. My opponent uh, had Jameer Gibbs, C.D. Lamb. Uh, who else do you have? Jason Myers. I mean, his, his team went nuclear. There's nothing I could do unless, uh, unless uh, Cortland Sutton gets 57 fancy points, which isn't too unlikely. And I'm about to lose to my friend Walker in my Cato Boys League. 12, uh, 14-man, actually. Or no, we got 12-man in that one. Um, I'm down by .2, but he has Josh Allen and James Cook, and I have Kay Shakir because Cooper Cup and Tyreek Hill decide to have the same bye week. And in my family, man, six-man All-Star League, I got blown up by my dad. And he still has J- James Cook, Dalton Kincaid, Jared Cook, or whatever his name is, and T-Bass tonight. So tough stuff, but uh, we continue. You know, I'm yet to go a week losing in all four leagues, so I'll consider that a win. But yes, good times in the NFL. We're happy to have you. But I'll tell you what uh, we're going to end this episode on is going to be recapping all of UFC 295 perfectly, perfectly, too. I feel like I always reach... The, um, the UFC portion of my, or like reviewing the event or previewing the event at the hour mark of every episode. So I, I should work to add some timestamps in to some of my episodes. I suppose I don't care as much since I know I don't have too many listeners. Anyone that listens, I appreciate you so much. You have no idea. Like, let me know. Text me and I will... I'll write a letter to you of support. But yes, we're going to go over all the fights from uh, UFC 295 and break them all down. Alrighty, going to take a quick intermission, then I'll be back. Alrighty, let's get into it. Because UFC 295 was absolutely electric. I did go 2-3 and three on picks, which wasn't, it wasn't too ideal, you know. I, I always like to do better, but um, I can't complain when some of my favorite fighters win, even if some of my favorite ones lose. So, uh, without a doubt, let's dive right into it. I mean, I watched every single fight, just about. I missed a couple, but uh, I saw the whole main card. I saw the first four. I saw the first four prelim fights. Then I went actually to Don Julio's, which is a Mexican restaurant. I don't know if they have those all around the world, but Don Julio's is a Mexican restaurant. I met up with two of my boys, who I rarely see anymore since they're from my uh, hometown. You know, I'm a, I'm a big college kid now. You know, but yeah, it was fun. I had some mixed drinks, and you know, well, uh, you know, we always turn up for. Uh, the weekends, you know, Zachary, live, live young, die fast. No, not the case. Live a, live a nice, godly life. That's what we should all strive for. Anyways, we kicked off in the featherweight division. Um, Jamal Emmers and Dennis Bazucha. And uh, you know what? Actually, do I have all my predictions? Yeah, I do have my predictions. And on the prediction show, we rocked with Jamal Emmers and. By gosh darn it, Jamal Emmers knocked Dennis out cold with a punch 49 seconds in. It was absolutely crazy. It was Jamal's first finish in the UFC and his eighth KO win of his career. I was so happy. I was going crazy. And I feel so happy for Jamal because I feel like he should have been on a three-fight winning streak. He lost his last fight by split decision. Didn't think Jack Jenkins won that fight. But guess what? Jamal's back, and he knocked out Dennis Bazucho. I mean, it was, it was going back and forth, but Jamal was just landing more. And, um, yeah, I mean, total strikes, 14-3. to 3. I mean, there's not much to tell you, but you get a 49-second knockout. For Dennis Bazucho, he is now 0-2 in the UFC. Um, one in one on the contender series as well. This guy was on season four of the contender series lost, then won a decision on season six of the contender series, took a fight against Sean Woodson on short notice and lost that, and just got knocked out by Dennis Bazooka. Jamal, I'm so happy for you. I don't know what's next for you. You're, you're, you're a ways off from the rankings at featherweight. 
But man, oh man, I was so, so freaking happy that he won this. So good job for you, Jamal. We started the night off 1-0. and which led us into our next fight between Joshua Van and Kevin Borjas at flyweight. Flyweight Joshua Van winning by unanimous decisions, 29-28, 29-28, and 29-28 across the board. And let me just tell you, this was a competitive fight, all right? We start off round one. Kevin is just looking better than Josh, you know? 23 to 20 significant strikes, 24 to 20 total strikes. Went 0 for 1 on takedown for 13 seconds of control time. Kevin won round one, and he was looking good, too. I mean, he was looking crisp. But um, Joshua Van said, you know what? Screw that. I had not come all the way to Madison Square Garden to lose. And absolutely went off. Round two, total strikes 77 to 27. Same for significant for Joshua Van. Absolutely destroyed him. Was going to the face, then the body. The body shots from Joshua Van. He set a record in this fight, I believe, for body shots with over like 100 or something. It was absolutely crazy. So Joshua Van, he's feeling the momentum. We're heading into round three. And Joshua says, you know what? We're not going to stop there. So he turns it up even more. 68 total strikes in 27. 59 significant compared to 25 for Kevin Borjas. And he even landed two of four takedowns for a minute. I mean, Joshua's just mixing everything in. He gets the unanimous decision victory. And boy, oh boy, was I just, I was out of my seat. I was so happy for Joshua Van. This kid is only 22 years old. He's only a year older than me. And he's out here beating uh, Kevin Borjas. Who, how old is Kevin Borjas? I was trying to remember. He's like 25 years old so he's being someone three years younger three years older than them you know what good for you joshua van and that was um that was joshua van's what is it now he was on a little win streak wasn't he seventh straight victory two and oh now in the ufc joshua van you're going places i don't think he's rankings ready yet i don't want to throw him to the dogs yet but uh, I certainly want to uh, see more of him. As for Kevin Borjas, you know, the, he took this fight after winning on the Contender Series. The, you lose your UFC debut, Kevin, but um, only your second professional loss. He, he should be able he should be able to bounce back. He should be able to uh, bounce back. Let's keep it rolling to our uh, next fight between John Costanda and Kyung Ho Kang. And let me just tell you, I was happy that John won this as I found out he was a Minnesota boy. You know, 31 years old from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And guess what? He picked up his second straight win in this one. He beats Kyung Ho Kang by unanimous decision, win, wins all three rounds over him. Impressive stuff for John. I mean... Totals from the fight, 111 to 88 significant strikes. Total strikes, 119 to 88. Three for eight on takedowns for two minutes and 18 seconds of control time. Round one, just the pressure from John Costanda definitely won him this round. John was pressuring Kang more. And even if Kang stunned him with some shots occasionally, even towards the end, John just had more pressure. Heading into round two, John finally landed a takedown, mixed it up. His shots were looking a bit harder. And was was just the pressure of his was just looking better. And round three, despite both men having 40 significant strikes, John had seven more total strikes, two of five on takedowns for a minute and 23 seconds. John's pressure just won him this fight. And even though it wasn't the most exciting fight, it still showed John's growth and that he is a good mixed martial artist. Good win for John. 2-0 now, 4-1 uh, actually, since 2021. And um, honestly, in the UFC, he's 4-2. Uh, came from the Contender Series. His only losses are to Nathaniel Wood and Daniel Santos. And that Daniel Santos one was the fight of the night, and he almost beat him in that one. So a perfect 2-0 on the year for John Costanda in 2023. Wins over Mwinga Forav and Kyung Ho Kang. I like what I've seen from him. 
as for Kang, you know, it's it's unfortunate losing, but uh, he's only lost by decision in the UFC. Um, you know, I'm sure he'll be back. That's all I'm going to say. I'm sure we'll be back if we go to an Asia country. Or I'm, It's a shame we couldn't get him on the China card, but especially if we go to Korea, because um, I believe that's where I'm from. Yeah, he's from Busan. If we can go to Korea, that would be I'd be super happy for him. But uh, as for now, John Costanda, good victory. And we got another knockout on the prelims, absolute scenes, as Jared Gordon knocks out Mark Madsen in 4 minutes and 42 seconds. Jared Flash Gordon, they don't call him Flash for no reason. Kick off the fight, and Mark Madsen is going for uh, going for some takedowns, but they're not even takedown attempts. He pretty much just pressured Jared Gordon up against the cage. Um, he was looking good on the feet. It honestly looked like he was outstriking Jared Gordon. And then even though he's not credited for a takedown, he had him against the cage, and he kind of had him in, all I could say it was like a half clinch of sorts, you know? Like he's trying to go in for a leg, Jared's defending leg, and he hits him with just like a normal punch. I don't like, a, like a hook, maybe even like a little jab, and you could tell it stunned Mark, and you were kind of like, oh, Mark's stunned. And he hit him again, and then he hit him again with a punch that had in the clinch, and he just knocked Mark out. Mark just falls down. So clearly, Mark's nickname is not the Olympian. It's Mark No Chin Madsen. I am so sorry, Mark. I, I, I was rooting for you. But you just got brutally knocked out. You're 39 years old. Um, clearly, you can't hang with some of the big dogs at lightweight. And Jared Gordon isn't even a big dog. So that should say, say a lot of stuff. But Mark Madsen was 12-0. He's now on a two-fight losing streak. He's been finished in both of them. And as for Jared Gordon, this is such a feel-good moment for him. I mean... The Patty Pimblet decision in last December did not go well. In April of this year, the head clash, no contest against Bobby Green. And now in November, he picks up a win over Mark Madsen. You got to feel good for Jared. And as for Jared Gordon, that was his seventh knockout victory in his career. Absolutely good stuff for him. Happy for you, Mom. Happy for you, uh, Jared, especially winning in your home state of New York. He's from Queens. You know what, Jared? I'm happy for you. He he wants someone ranked, which uh, he said doesn't make sense, but he's still going to shoot for the attempt. So you know what? Good credit to you, Jared, but you're not going to get anyone ranked. You could potentially fight um, someone who we're going to talk about later, who I'll mention, but uh, yeah. Jared Gordon, you're not getting a ranked guy, but I'm certainly happy you got a victory. Good for you, Jared. And at this point, we're 3-1 and one on my prelim predictions. Um, actually, we ended the prelims 5-2. and two. So that's just a little point. Then I'm so sad. I missed this fight. This was the one fight I talked about on the pre-show that I wanted to see. I told you I was going to be a banger of a fight. Nazim Sadikov, the Black Wolf, versus Vacheslav Borshev, Slava Klaus. And it was a majority draw. I don't know what occurred, but just judging from the stats, I feel like I can. Totals from the fight, Nazim had one knockdown, 91 significant strikes, 109 total strikes, 4 for 7 on takedowns for 3.5 minutes. Vicheslav, 143 t- significant strikes, 144 total strikes. Absolute, absolute fire from him in the striking department. Round 1, Vicheslav outstriking him 58-23. to 23. Same for total and for significant. Striking him at a 73% land rate. Looks like Vicheslav's striking won him round 1. And this is, Vicheslav is a dangerous striker. I mean, this is a guy of his 7 victories, 6 by knockout. Was looking good. But then round two, Nazim landed a knockdown, one for one on takedowns for two minutes of control time. Outstruck him 51 to 30, 39 to 29 significantly. So it looks like Nazim might have 10 aided him in round two from what I am seeing. 
Then, as we head into round three, Vacheslav outstrikes him 56 to 29 significantly, 56 to 35 overall. But Nazim did land three or four takedowns for a minute and a half of control time. So I'm assuming, just judging from it, Vacheslav wins rounds three and one, but around two, 10 8 for Nazim Sadikov is my assumption. This fight is ruled a majority draw, but does win fight of the night. I'm always love when the prelims win fight of the night, as we didn't really have one on the main card, if I'm being honest. They're. The only one you could have maybe said was the main event, but it was nowhere near as entertaining as this from what I've seen. So, I mean, I, I was seeing people say that they should run this fight back. But honestly, Vacheslav Borshev versus Jared Gordon could be a banger of a fight. You could even have Nazim Sadikov versus him or, or just run back this fight. I would love. Clearly, it's one of those fights where you needed five rounds for. But good job to both these men. You know, Nazim still yet to lose in the UFC and Vacheslav's only loss. Actually, his only two losses, he got outgrappled. So he showed some anti-grappling here. As what did um what did Nazim go on the fight? He went four of seven. Okay, so not too too good a defense, but good enough for me. Lightweight matchup up next as Matus Rebecki submits Roosevelt Roberts in three minutes with an armbar. I didn't catch this fight. I could have told you the result before we even watched it. I mean, Roosevelt Roberts took this fight on short notice. All kudos to him, but the fight lasted three minutes and eight seconds. Control time of two of two takedowns for Matus, two minutes and 14 seconds. So there was a very slim 40 seconds where this fight wasn't in Matus's control. He pulled an armbar from bottom guard, it says, and that'll do it. Matus Rebecca gets his 16th straight win and his 7th submission. Wow. Wow. Absolutely crazy. Matus Rebecki improves to 18-1 of those 18 victories. He has 16 finishes. Wow. Absolutely crazy. He's 3-0 in the UFC, including a win on the Contender Series. I mean, Matus Rebecki, get him in the rankings. I mean, my goodness. This guy's clearly talented. As for Roosevelt Roberts, this now extends... His losing streak to, I don't even know what, but he hasn't won in the UFC since 2020. It's been tough going for Roosevelt. That's for Matus. You know, here's a guy who you could sometimes see on the main card before you know it. I mean, clearly this guy's talented. Looking at the lightweight rankings, I mean, I don't know who I could put him up against. Maybe, maybe Hinato Moicano. I don't know. Might be a bit before you get into the rankings, Matus, but um, you're going to be a top guy one day. I can already tell. And then we actually got some ranked fighters. We finally got into our ranked category as we head to some ranked women's strawweights as number 13, Lupi Godinez, fought number 10, Tabitha Ritchie. And get this, Lupi Godinez won. She beats Tabitha Ritchie by split decision, earning her fourth victory of the year, a new women's record. Lupi outstrikes her 98 to 84, 101 to 91 total. Um, Tabitha goes 0 for 6 on takedowns for only a minute and 22 seconds control time. Lupi went 0 for 1. Round 1, we kicked it off. Lupi outstruck her 23 to 22 significantly, but Tabitha was 24 to 23 total. Tabitha also went 0 for 3 on takedowns, which probably played a, uh, a factor. In round number two, uh, Lupi outstruck her 36 to 31 significantly, 38 to 32 total, and Tabitha went 0 for 2 on takedowns. And then round three, Lupi outstruck her 39 to 31, 40 to 35 total, and looks like she won it there. But controversy on the judges' scorecards, as it was a 29-28 for Lupi, a 29-28 for Lupi, and Brian Miner scored it 30-27 for Tabitha Ritchie, despite having 10 less total strikes. 14 less significant strikes, and not landing a single takedown on six attempts. Uh, don't No idea what to do with that information, <laughs> but, but uh, all I will say is that Loopy wins the striking battle. 
gets it done. She's now ranked number 10 in the women's strawweight division. And let's shoot her up the rankings. Let's have her fight. Um, let's see. Luiana Pinero's fighting someone soon. I think Luiana Pinero's fighting like, I don't know. Have her fight. Have Lupi Godinez fight Vierna Jandaroba. How about that? That's a fight I want to make. That's the fight I'm going to make. Uh, Vierna Jandaroba is ranked number six. So that's the fight that will be done next because I declared it right now. As for Tabitha Ritchie, this is unfortunate. Snaps a four-fight winning streak. That's how it goes. Lupi Godinez, though. Four fights in 2023, four wins. A win in April, a win in May, a win in September, and now a win in November. Let's shoot her into 2024 with some momentum. And then we got to our final prelim of the night, a flyweight matchup between Steve Ersig and Alessandro Costa. And Steve Ersig was actually ranked number um, number 14th uh, before this fight, and he picked up a win. He beats Alessandro Costa by a unanimous decision. So let's move Steve Ersig up from 14 to 13, 12. I'd move him up to Osley in the number 12 spot in the rankings. Very good win for Steve in this one. Uh, but a close one. Close one nonetheless. 29-28 across the scoreboards. Round one, Steve outstrikes him 31-16. to um, Alessandro had a failed takedown attempt. One submission attempt from Steve Ersig. Had 49 seconds of control for that. Looks like Steve won round one. Round two, though. Same striking for both these men significantly. 24 apiece. 37-33 to 33 total for Steve. Um, two minutes of control time for Steve. 49 seconds for Alessandro Costa, who actually landed a takedown on three attempts. So it all came down to the final round. Steve Versig goes one for five on takedowns for three and a half minutes of control time. 36 total strikes each. Very competitive fight from both these men. But Steve Versig comes out on top. And this marks Steve's 10th straight win. Impressive stuff. He improves to 11-1 and one in his professional career. As for Alessandro Costa, he is now 1-2 and two in the UFC. Now uh, well, those losses are to Amir Albazi and Steve Ersig, so tough fighters. Nonetheless, a tough loss for Alessandro Costa. Steve Ersig, though, 2-0 in the UFC. Two big wins. Let's keep the momentum going, man. Let's have him fight upwards. Have him fight Tagir Limbekov, Sumadarji, Tameliant. Any of those guys could be the next opponent for Steve Ersig. And just like that, the prelims came to an end. Pretty good prelims, 5-2 and two total on my predictions. Top moments, obviously, the fight of the night between Nazim and Vacheslav. Round one knockouts from Jamal and uh, Jared Gordon. And I didn't catch the Matus Rebecca armbar, so I'm not even going to comment on it. And then we got into the main card, and this was, dare I say, the best main card of the year. I mean, five fights, five performance bonuses, five finishes. The farthest the fight went was four minutes into round two. All the fights were ending quickly. This was just one of my favorite cards of all time. Just this main card is just so good. I couldn't believe it. Let's get into it. We kicked it off. Pat Sabatini, Diego Lopez, and the featherweight division. All right. The boys, they, right off the bat, they were hot. They knew what they wanted to do. Diego shot for takedown. Nope. Pat Sabatini shot for some takedowns. Nope. And then finally, as Diego shooting for a takedown, he starts hitting Pat with some punches. All right. He's hitting him with some punches on the ground. And Pat goes out. He goes out off of the punches. And a round one knockout, a round one TKO for Diego Lopez, a minute and 30 seconds into round number one. Diego Lopez is officially my favorite featherweight fighter on the roster. I freaking love this guy. Shoot him up the rankings. My goodness. I just, you know, you hear the excitement. You hear the excitement that Diego Lopez brings out of me. Clearly, clearly, I'm a Diego Lopez fan. Totals for the fight, 13 to 10, and uh, total strikes in 13 to 7, and significant strikes in favor of Diego Lopez. He had one knockdown, which is what won him the fight. Diego Lopez, an absolute killer of a fighter. As for Pat Sabatini, you know, he's now, um, 
He's five and two in the UFC, but he's one and two. His last three, and um, he's been knocked out in round one now in two fights, both in just under a minute and a half. So pretty tough stuff for him. As for Diego Lopez, after losing on the Contender Series in 2021, after losing on short notice to Mosvarevlov, he has come back in August and November and gotten round one finishes, both in just his submission of Gavin Tucker in August, a minute and 38 seconds. His knockout of Pat Sabatini, a minute and 30 seconds. Diego Lopez is clearly a killer. I freaking love this guy so much. That was Diego Lopez's ninth career knockout. Oh, my goodness, my goodness. And look at the featherweight rankings. Number 15, Alex Caceres. Number 14, Leron Murphy. Number 13, Danny Ige. Number 12, Salik Yusuf. Number 11, Edson Barbosa. Number 10, Bryce Mitchell. I could see him fighting any of those guys. If we're going to make a realistic fight from though, Alex Caceres. Alex Caceres, the ultimate gatekeeper. He just lost to Giga Chikadze. All right, he just lost to him. So this could make fight. I mean, this could make sense, I should say. This is a fight that would make sense if Diego Lopez were to fight Alex Caceres. That's a fight I'd love to see. Diego Lopez, you're officially one of my favorite fighters. Welcome to the club. Excellent win for you, man. And then, next up, I mean, I just I didn't think that moment could be topped. I didn't think it could be topped, but I knew we had a fun one. Benoit Saint-Denis was taking on number 14-ranked lightweight Matt Frivola. You know, this was guaranteed to be a good one. And it gets going right off the bat. It gets going. Uh, Matt Frivola lands a pair of takedowns on Benoit Saint-Denis. He picks him up. He slams him down. He picks him up. He slams him down. They get back on the feet. They're striking. They're striking. Then Benoit Saint-Denis pulls up a little like one-two jab punch. And then as Matt Frivola dodges to the side, you know, he's going to try and move out of the way of the cage. Benoit brings his left foot up, clips him on the head, and knocks Matt Frivola out cold. A round one knockout head kick. For Benoit Saint-Denis, the god of war, gets it done. Absolute killer. Absolute killer. I can't believe it. He does it in a minute and 31 seconds. So, I mean, our first two fights of the main card both end in a minute and a half. It was just absolute scenes. Absolute scenes here. Performance in the bonus forum. Benoit Saint-Denis is a killer. That was Benoit's fourth KO in his career, and of his now 13 victories, 13 finishes, a 100% finish rate. His only loss was in his UFC debut, up 15 pounds on short notice in Abu Dhabi against Elizio Zaleski dos Santos, who didn't finish him, by the way, one of the most brutal fights of all time. Since then, 5-0 in the UFC, 5 finishes, 3 performance bonuses, this one his biggest against number 14 ranked Matt Fravola. So shoot Benoit into the rankings at number 14, and let's give him someone. He was calling out Matus Gamron, Dustin Poirier, all right? He was calling out those guys. I love it personally. Personally, this is me. You have Rafael Dos Anjos still in the rankings at 10. Him versus Benoit Saint-Denis could be a main event in Paris. Dana White said he wanted to see him main event in Paris. You could do that fight too, all right? I just feel like to have a number 14 guy now fight a number 6 guy in Matus and number three guy in Dustin. He needs a bit more time, but I feel like he's rankings ready. Clearly he is now. Oh man, Benoit Saint-Denis, you are a killer. As for Matt Frivola, this snaps his three fight uh, winning streak, but um, you know what? It was bound to happen. Matt Frivola, you had a little nice run. Your knockouts of uh, Gennaro, Ottoman, and Drew Dober were all super good, but you ran into the god of war, Benoit Saint-Denis. So yeah, as for what's next for Benoit, I like a Rafael dos Anjos fight. If Rafael's not going to go in the division, I like a Renato Moicano fight. Maybe even Jalen Turner. Maybe even the loser or winner of Dan Hooker and Bobby Green. 
any of those options. As for uh, Matt Frivola, back to the unranked pool for you, buddy. Get out of here. But Benoit, you bring so much joy. So, you know, I was happy. I was happy, guys. Diego won. Benoit won. I was doing good, and you know what God said? He said, you know what, Zach? I got to teach you some humility that not all your fighters can win. Next up, Jessica Andrade took on Mackenzie Dern, and oh my goodness, this was absolutely insane. I, I, I don't even know what to say about this. Um, first off, women's strawweight matchup here. Number uh, five ranked Jessica Andrade taking on number seven Mackenzie Dern. Uh, Jessica Andrade, three-fight losing streak in this year, had been finishing all of them. Mackenzie Dern coming off a main event win, fight of the night, over um, Angela Hill. And just right off the bat, I could tell this was not the Mackenzie Dern I had seen her last fight out. No. Uh, Jessica Andrade outstrikes her in round one, 27 to 25, knocks her down once. Okay, she knocked her down once. Not too bad. We head into round two. Jessica Andrade clearly won round one, almost finished her on the ground with some punches. And Jessica Andrade proceeds to drop Mackenzie Dern three times in round number two. By the way, similar striking numbers, 26 to 25 in favor of Jessica Andrade. So these women were even in striking. But Andrade's power was just unreal. Mackenzie Dern just was not blocking anything. She gets dropped four times in their fight that lasted two rounds. By the way, time-wise, a 8-minute and 15-second fight getting dropped four times means she got dropped almost every two minutes. Oh my goodness, Jessica Andrade, a huge comeback win for her. Bounce back win, I should say, is the correct term. She was probably getting cut if she lost this. That's for Mackenzie Dern. Just has been win-loss, win-loss since 2021. Nothing more to say. Wow. That's a shocker for me, guys. It was a shocker. Jessica Andrade keeps her spot in the rankings at number five. As for Mackenzie Dern, she'll probably just stay at seven. You know, there's... Actually, Marina Rodriguez might even pass her. Mackenzie Dern might even drop down to the number eight or nine spot in the rankings. Oh, my goodness. That's a tough loss, but congrats to you, Jessica Andrade. You deserve it. You deserve it. So then let's get into our title fights because, you know, I was already sad. I just watched Mackenzie Dern get brutally knocked out by uh, Jessica Andrade, and then I was like, you know what? The great heavyweight fight next. Sergey Pavlovich, Tom Aspinall, my boys. My boys. I love both these boys, but I picked Sergey. You know, I like Sergey more. I was a fan of Sergey before Tom. Hey, you know what? A minute and nine seconds in, and I could just tell that Sergey was too crazy. Tom was landing better, just looking better. All right. No one even needed to shoot for a takedown. Tom hit him with some leg kicks. They hurt Sergey. Sergey hit Tom with one punch. The one punch Sergey landed in this fight hurt Tom. But then Sergey loaded up, got clipped, all right? He got clipped once, so he was already wobbly. And what do you do when you're wobbly? Do you defend yourself? No, you decide to load up again. He gets hit with a clean punch, a clean right, I believe it was. Or it might have even been a left hook. And Sergey Pavlovich gets knocked out a minute and nine seconds into round number one. Absolute scenes. Absolutely crazy. The second loss of Sergey Pavlovich's career. As for Tom Aspinall, his second straight round one knockout. And his 14th in his career, 14-fight finish streak, that was Tom's 10th KO victory, so good for him. You know what? I'm, I'm not even mad. You know, I'm not even mad. Um, Tom Aspinall, 7-1 now in the UFC. His one loss, a fluke, he got injured. Um, impressive stuff from him. As for Sergey, his first loss since 2018, um, just tough, just tough. But, you know, as sad as I am for Sergey, I got to give Tom Aspinall credit. He's now the interim champ. A fight with him and John Jones will make more money than a Steve Bay and John Jones fight. Even though Dana White is still adamant 
that it's going to be John Jones versus Deep Eight. No one wants that. I don't know. But um, good win for Tom Aspinall. He'll now be the number one ranked contender, the interim champ. As for Sergey Pavlovich, he'll probably move down into the three to four range for contenders. But, you know, Tom Aspinall, he said he wants to defend the belts. Cyril Gunn wants to fight him now. But Tom said since Cyril originally did not want to fight him when Tom called him out in Paris, um, he doesn't want to give it to him. So he said maybe someone like Halton Almeida. He wants to give a shot. But Tom Aspinall, there just feels like there's something special with that kid. I'm probably going to pick him from now on in the future. As for Sergey, you know, if you if you want to do Sergey versus Alexander Volkov, Halton Almeida, Stipe Miocic, I mean, I favor Sergey against a lot of guys. Clearly not against Tom Aspinall. But good win for you, Tom. I will much rather be congratulatory of Tom than uh, hate on him because this was a very impressive win for him. Let's get into the main event where, yet again, a fighter I picked was knocked out. Alex Pajera finishes Jerry Prochaska in the second round to become the new light heavyweight champion. Totals from the fight, 38-30. to 30, Significant strikes in favor of Alex Pajera. 49-44 to strikes in favor of Pajera as well. And Pajera actually had a submission attempt for... Um, uh, what was it? Uh, he was he was trying to lock on like a guillotine, standing guillotine, but he's not a submission guy, so he has no idea what to do. Jerry did try and lean on the grappling a bit. It went one for three for two minutes and 45 seconds to control time, but uh, it was a close round one. It was a close round one. A t- uh, takedown might have sealed it for Jerry. It did feel like Alex was landing a bit better with the leg kicks especially. As we got into round two, you know, um, leg kicks were going bad for Jerry, so he shot for a takedown. As he was shooting, he got clicked with the left, really rocked him, so he went fully down to the ground. He was getting hit with some elbows to the side of the head, um, fell backwards, looked kind of unconscious, but managed to recover himself. Felt like an early stoppage at the time. Still kind of feels like it does. A round two TKO gives it to Alex Barra. New light heavyweight champion. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. No, no words. No words is all I can say. Alex Barra will now be your new light heavyweight champion. Jerry will probably be the number two contender as Jamal Hill will move down to the number one contender spot. But man, wow, Alex Barra in just, what has it now been? Alex Barra has now had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven UFC fights. In that time span, he has won the middleweight championship and the light heavyweight championship. Absolutely crazy. He's also main evented three pay-per-views in that time. Alex Barra, you're an absolute gem. You get a performance bonus for it. It was uh, Alex's, what was it, Alex's? It was Alex's seventh knockout victory in his MMA career. As for Jerry, only his fourth professional loss, first UFC loss. He'll be back from this, but the night belongs to Alex Pajera. Rankings-wise, I mean, huge implications here. As we go to the pound-for-pound list, you had Alex Pajera at 10. He's now a champion. All right, I'm moving Alex Pajera up to probably the number seven spot in the pound-for-pound list. And as for Jerry knocking him off, probably throwing Tom Aspinall on at like 13, 12, or 11. I'd throw Tom Aspinall even on at like the number 11 spot. If I'm being honest, but I mean, impressive stuff from all the boys. Impressive stuff. What's next for Alex Barra? He'll probably defend the belt against uh, Jamal Hill, who vacated the belt. But he was calling out Adesanya, which was funny. He wants to have a trilogy fight in the UFC with Adesanya. I don't know if they're going to do that? I don't know if they're going to do that, but uh, if they do, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I, you know, I'd probably root for Jamal Hill. I don't know why I'm not the huge, I'm not the biggest Alex Barra fan, 
But uh, I think that's because I'm upset that uh, I didn't pick him. It's probably the case. As for Jiri, you know, there's a fight between Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker coming up. He could fight the winner of that. There's a fight between Hanbalovich and Alexander Rakic coming up. He could fight the winner of that. He could even straight up fight Nikita Krylov. A lot of options for Jiri, but um, he comes up short. He comes up short, guys. And you know, the, the only thing left a sour taste in my mouth was that the three fighters I picked all got knocked out to end the night. But I can't complain because I had Diego and Benoit both winning. But overall, a very good card. Good vibes the whole day. We had a couple cold ones too. Saturday was a very fun time. But now we look ahead to next weekend as we have UFC Vegas 82. It will be main evented by middleweight contenders number 10 ranked Brendan Allen and number 13 ranked Paul Craig. Brendan Allen is on an incredible five-fight win streak, four of those finishes by rear naked chokehold. He only has two losses in the UFC. One of those is to Chris Curtis. The other is to current middleweight champion, Sean Strickland. This guy is as legit as it gets. As for Paul Craig, the submission expert recently moved down to middleweight, finished Andre Munez in July. This is a big opportunity for him. And I mean, this guy has so many finishes in the UFC. I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of his nine UFC wins all by finish. Paul Craig, I cannot wait to get into his stats for submissions. I mean, my goodness, that should be a fun one. This upcoming Saturday, we also have undefeated uh, welterweight contender Michael Morales taking on fellow welterweight contender Jake Matthews, rising lightweights Chase Hooper and Jordan Levitt, um, as well as ranked women's strawweights Luiana Pinero and Amanda Hebas. So this should be a fun, fun card. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for the episode, guys. Still battling this cold, having to cough at some point to get some hot cocoa, drink some water, but we're getting through it. All right, let's make it a good week. I got a classes tomorrow. Good, get back into the gym tomorrow. I haven't gone since last Thursday. I haven't had a good workout since last Wednesday. So whenever I'm out of the gym, I just feel weak. I just feel weak. Um, gotta buy some new medicine. Gotta buy some groceries. I got no food to eat. I got no food to eat here. Broke college student vibes. You know how it be. Big marketing test tomorrow. No idea how it's gonna go, guys, ladies, gentlemen, everyone. Have an amazing weekend. Make it your best. Let me know if you have any uh, topics you want me to go over, anything in particular you want me to talk about. I'm always open ears for anything here. Don't be afraid to uh, message me, uh, ZR2002 on Verdict MMA, Zach Ruger on Instagram. Uh, it's like ZTR2002 as well on um, TikTok, Snapchat, Zach Ruger, um, and Evergrowing Co. IB on Instagram. Give us a follow and buy a sweatshirt. They're a very good gift for the holidays. I'll catch you all later next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast.